0: and welcome back to the Turning 30 podcast, a place where we talk about what it's really like to turn 30. I'm your host, life coach, Emma Wilson, and I'm here to help you get unstuck, feel better, and be more confident at 30. Now, today's episode is an episode that has been on my mind a lot recently because I actually released it over one year ago. And when I released it, it was exactly what I needed to hear. Do you know when that happens? When you are in a certain space or a certain frame of mind and there's something bothering you and then all of a sudden you listen to something and it's just validating and makes you feel better and gives you a new perspective and shifts your energy and that's exactly what happened when I first listened to this podcast, when I first recorded it sorry and then I honestly listened back to it I think about three times in those few weeks after from when I was editing it and then also after I released it, I was I was a bit addicted to it. And the reason I've decided to re-release it is because I was reflecting back in the past few weeks of where I was one year ago. So obviously I'm a life coach and also a very reflective person. I'm always thinking back. I do this thing where I always look back to my photos on my iPhone. You can type in one year ago and see exactly the photos from the month exactly 12 months ago. I also tend to every so often really on a six monthly basis have a readback back of my journals and see where I was up to. That's another reason why I love journaling because I really love to record where I am and almost see the patterns and see the progress and the evolution that I'm going through. So I was doing this recently in the past few weeks and thinking a lot about where I was last year in April, May, 2022 and how much has changed and I've spoken about this quite openly also on my email newsletter if you are uh, signed up to that also on Instagram and maybe even on the podcast that one year ago I was not in a good place in my love life I was really calling in a relationship but felt very stuck I was in a dating slump I kept getting rejections I was being ghosted, meeting emotionally unavailable men, all of the things. And it was this was in the run up to my 35th birthday. And while my 35th birthday was big for me, like for many people, I think that it's a, a difficult one to digest. And it kind of started around April 10, end of April, early May that I was really feeling really low and really had to take myself through my own coaching process. And I was thinking about how much has changed. I'm now in a happy relationship I'm feeling good I'm feeling like lots of things have changed in my mindset and I just want to reiterate that I don't think I feel happy because I'm in a relationship I feel like the relationship has found me at the right time because I did the work on myself to get there and I really felt better before I even got into the relationship because I managed to get out of this slump or this funk or whatever you want to call it And I really had to take myself through my own program, had to listen to my own advice, I had to listen to my own podcast episodes. And this is the episode that really shifted that for me. Because I remember when I recorded it one year ago, being like, I remember pressing uh, end on the podcast recording, pressing stop and saying to the guest, oh my God, you do not understand how much I needed to hear your story. And i recorded a really, really, from the heart important podcast episode all about this and my journey and advice for those who are waiting for love in their 30s that I'm going to release next week but in the meantime I really wanted to re-release this because I know so many of you are new here you're new to the podcast and you probably haven't gone back to listen to this episode or you aren't new here you've heard it before but you need to be reminded again so that's why I'm re-releasing it I really value the guest, Laura Benker, her ownership of her timelines. I really respect her reflections on it and the journey that she went through to own oh, the fact that her path took a bit of a a different timeline to those around her, and, and some of the reflections in the episode I think are very important. So I'm not going to reintroduce Laura because you'll hear it in the introduction of the rerun. But what I will say is if you like this episode and you like the podcast, please subscribe. Next week's episode is going to be a really personal, vulnerable one that I can't wait to release. And if you feel the urge because you really enjoy being here and enjoy being part of the Turning 30 podcast community, I invite you to leave a review and share this with friends share it on your socials if you're active and come back for more because I really really love the podcast it's such an amazing project for me it's such an amazing part of my coaching business and I cannot wait to grow it On that note, I'll just leave you with the fact that I have one coaching spot available for June and two more opening up in July. These are private coaching one-on-one spots for my three-month Turning 30 program. So if this is something that you're interested in, I invite you to book an initial consultation call via the link in the podcast blurb. So on that note, let's re-dive into Turning 30 and Owning Your Timeline let me officially introduce Laura to you. Laura Benke is a coach, podcast host, writer, speaker and creator of the Life Actually company. A 16-year-old TV sports anchor and reporter veteran, Laura left that business in 2017 to focus on supporting and empowering women in all phases of their lives. Her work helps women put aside the idea of what you should be doing and instead to embrace your unique life path. In other words, to own your timeline. Her podcast, The Life Actually Podcast, shares the stories of different women who are doing just that. Laura lives in the San Francisco Bay Area with her husband, Mark, daughter, Marie, and Labradoodle, Oxford. Welcome, Laura, to the podcast. Hi, Laura, and welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, Emma, thank you so much for having me. I'm really
0: looking forward to talking with you today just was just telling you just before we jumped on the call how excited I am and I've really been waiting for this conversation for a while I know that my audience and my listeners are going to absolutely love what we're going to talk about today which is turning 30 and ditching the timelines so I think let's just start by by hearing your story I, I, I don't even want to start talking about it because I, I won't tell it as well as you will <laughs> and, and I found your Instagram and was just so inspired and expanded by your your thirties and your thirty journey. So I'd love to uh, you know hear about it in your own words.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I could go on and on and on. So I'm going to try and condense it as much as, much as I can, and then we can kind of go from there. You know, it's funny. Turning thirty for me was not. As scary as I thought it was going to be, or I was not as terrified of it as I thought I was going to be. I think because I just like had this idea in my head that I was 28. And I had that idea for a really long time. And it didn't matter what age I was. I was like, you no, know, I'm still 28, right? I mean, what of course I am. <laughs> what's happening? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, I don't I don't understand what's happening here. But um 35 was really scary for me. I I think it was because, you know, I was single. I had not not only was I single, I had never had a relationship at 35 years old, so I was convinced, wrongly, which I understand now, but at the time, convinced that there was something very wrong with me. Not only was my life not following the typical timeline that it was supposed to, I wasn't married, I didn't have kids, I didn't have my career all figured out, I wasn't doing it all. I'd never even gotten close to getting married or getting engaged. I'd never even gotten close to bringing somebody home to meet my parents. So all of these things internally, I was having these these crazy dialogues with myself about like, what what are you doing wrong? And it was always that, what am I doing wrong? What am I doing wrong? It seemed so much easier to just believe that there had to be something that that needed to be fixed instead of just accepting that my timeline was different, that Mm. my life was going to be different than everyone else's. And I think 35 scared scared me so much because I saw 40. For the first time, 40 seemed like it was going to happen. I've now passed 40. I'm 42. So let me tell you, it's okay. <laughs> but when you're in it and when you're feeling all of these things, um, it can be terrifying. It really can. And I know for a lot of people, 30 is that way. Uh, and when I turned 30, I felt like I had my job pretty well kind of figured out. I wasn't exactly where I wanted to be. At the time, I, was a, I used to be a TV sports anchor and reporter. And so I was, I was living and working in San Francisco at the time. I had been in Boston right before that. About a year later, I would end up going out to New York, which is where I spent about 10 years, seven, seven years of those in TV before I got out of the business. And so I was feeling pretty good about, about that. But I just felt like I can't keep getting older If my life isn't going the way it's supposed to go, like what, what on earth am I doing? And uh, that was really scary. That was really scary. And it took, it took a lot of time. I would say 35 was kind of my, my rock bottom of just, I had spent, I think 30 to 35 was a slow decline Mm -hmm. (laughs) in really questioning where my life was going and what I was doing. And I was, and I, I look back now and I just, I just want to give that Laura a hug because so many things were going well in my life. So many things were good. I had great friends. My family is supportive and amazing. I lived in New York city. It was my favorite city in the world. It was, it was the only place that I ever had wanted to be up to that point. And yet I was fixated on my personal life and fixated on what I didn't have and terrified with each year that passed that not necessarily that all of that was going to be out of reach, but that it wouldn't be as meaningful because it wasn't happening the way I thought it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So while people said, Oh no, you, you had plenty of time to get married. You it might not happen when you think it will, but you have plenty of time. I was like, yeah, but I don't want, I don't want it to happen in 10 years. I don't want it to happen in, I don't even want it to happen in two years. I want it to happen now. And so that's a really tough place to be in when you want something that is out of your control really to happen immediately And the age thing is just always there in your mind. And yeah, I struggled with that quite a bit.
0: And I want, we obviously want to go into then after what happened after you turned 35 and the second part of your thirties, and we're going to get there, but you alluded to this a little bit, but I want to even dive in a little bit deeper. When you were in that space of being fixated on your age or fixated on those passing years and you know not having the timelines or being in the in the place that you wanted to be how did it manifest in your behavior like how did that show up what what were things that you did and didn't do because of that fear
1: i was very unhappy which in turn made me pretty angry i definitely had some strained relationships with friends i had some strained relationships with coworkers i was unhappy and I was scared. And I don't think I realized either of those things, which then was turning into anger. So I found myself getting frustrated all the time. When I started to come out of it, when I really started to kind of like dig deep into what was going on and why I was feeling this way and how I could make some changes to try but to my perspective, because I didn't need to be changed. That was a big thing that I had to realize it. I And everyone listening right now, no matter how you are processing your age, no matter how you're processing your timeline, you are not broken. That needs to be repeated. You are not broken. You don't need to be fixed. There isn't some like five-step system out there that's going to get you the perfect life. You are good. And I just didn't believe that. And so I was convinced that I had to fix something about myself. And because I didn't know what it was, because it didn't exist, it I was, I was angry. And when I did finally start to kind of come out of it with this perspective change that I was able to kind of latch onto, I started talking to some friends who maybe I had not been as connected to over the last few years, finding out, well, you weren't a lot of fun to be around. And I was like, oh, oh, wait. So all of these things that I was dealing with internally, you could actually see them externally. I had no idea. Oh my God. Uh, I remember having a conversation with my dad when I was about probably 32 or 33. And we were all together. My family was together. It was my mom's 60th birthday. So we were all celebrating her. I was in such a bad headspace. And I, I, as I look back on it now, I ruined the trip. I was angry. I was bitter. I was short with everybody. And I remember my dad said, like, I finally stomped away and was like sitting on a park bench crying. And my dad came over and he's like, you have to find something that makes you happy. You, ha- you have to start focusing on, like, you have to find something. I don't care what it is. And I'm like, well, a relationship would make me happy. He's like, okay, let, let's talk about the things you can control. You have to do something for yourself that's gonna make you happy. I don't care how big it is, you have to start there. And that, that was a bit of a wake up call for my dad to sit down and be like, you're, you're miserable right now and you're making the rest of us miserable without say, using those words. But I still needed time. I still needed time to get there. It was after that that I decided to start, I, that made me start volunteering. I started working with, I, I, love, I love kids. I, at that point, didn't know if I'd ever have any. So I was like, well, let me volunteer. And I read to kids once a week in the morning before school. I, would, I went to an elementary school and that was, that I feel like was one of my first steps out of what I was feeling. Because for half an hour, 45 minutes, once a week, I got to be about, it got to be about something that wasn't me. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about me sitting here feeling sorry for, for who I was and where I was not going. Um, got to be about the kids, got to be about somebody else. And I needed that. I needed that. Like, I'm going to check my brain at the door, even if it's just for 45 minutes and do something that's not about me. And that, that was, that was a first step, but it took, it took a lot more than that. But I look, I look back now and I think that one of the things that upsets me the most about the time that I spent questioning who I was and where I was going was not just how it was affecting me. It was how it was affecting people that I cared about, who cared about me, but didn't quite know what to do with me at that point. And I, and I, I, I feel bad about that. I, I, I regret that, but it was all part of what I had to go through to understand how I needed to actually view my life and how I needed to, to change, to do some tweaks so that I could get, get out of that. But I would say the biggest thing was the, was my relationships with, with friends and family. And I'm sure it affected my dates too. Like the, the few first dates that I went on. I don't, I, you know, I the, I hate the word desperate, but I definitely wasn't me. I was going into all of these dates being like, this has to be it this guy has to be it, please. This has to be it. And that's not cool. Like, that's, yeah. not a, that's just not a good mental way to go into it. And so, yeah, that, th- those were some of the biggest ways that, that it showed up.
0: Yeah. That was what, what my next question was going to be was at this point, were you dating? Were you actively trying to meet someone? And if yes, how did it show up? And like you said, I'm sure yeah. it showed up with some sort of you know energy that was being given off on the, on the date.
1: Definitely. And I also feel like it was my sole focus was trying to meet somebody. It was my sole focus. And I was living in New York city at the time. I think like any big city, it's tough to date in New York city. I mean, it's tough to date everywhere. Let's be honest. It is, it is not easy. New York city is hard and there are a lot more women than men. A lot more single women than single men. And the men know it. The men know they have lots of options. And I, what I wish is that I would have gone in thinking I have lots of options too, or at the very least, I don't have to settle for whomever's in front of me. Like if that's not what's working instead of always being so concerned with, does he like me? The question I had to start asking myself was, do I like him? Which was never something I'd really thought about because I always felt I was convincing the other person that they had to like me. Uh, so that definitely showed up when I was dating.
0: Yeah. There's so many things that I want to like delve into, but let's kind of go to the spoiler at the end. And I actually, I love, I'm loving the fact that we're doing this chronologically in terms of, so you were at this point, as you said, 35 was a big deal for you. You had gone to your rock bottom at that point. And then you mentioned that you started to shift your perception. So can you just kind of go from there and tell us what, what happened, I guess? yeah.
1: So yeah, it was the winter of, cause I turned 35 in November. And so it was then that winter that was just, I mean, it's already winter in New York city. It's cold, it's snowy and just wet and damp and gross. And, you know, you feel like spring and, and hope is never coming back even <laughs> in a good time. Uh, and so I was just, I felt for a while, like maybe I just give up maybe I just need to give up because this is just never going to happen. And because it's never going to happen in the way you think it's going to happen, then nothing's going to happen. And about around March, I guess it would have been February because I was planning for March. I just realized, you know what? I have to get out of here. I have to take some time. And so I, I went on, I decided to book a vacation to Mexico by myself. And I'd done this once before a few years prior, I'd gone to Mexico by myself and it was good. It was a good experience, but I did feel like the entire time I was there, I was like, oh, I'm here alone. I'm in Mexico, but I'm here alone. And it was really, I was so fixated on that. And this time around, I approached it differently. I, first of all, allowed myself to get excited. And just the idea of I get to go to Mexico and leave New York City even for four days is all I want right now. So I was getting excited about that. And as we were leading, as I was leading into the trip, I was like, well, what do I want to do? what are the things that I want to do? And I started to allow myself to plan my vacation in my head and, and realize like, I have to do whatever I want to do. I don't have to ask somebody else what they want. I get to do whatever I want. If I want to sleep in, if I want to wake up at six, if I want to, you know, lay by the pool all day and not go to the beach. And I know these are all such silly, trivial things, but I was giving myself permission to start building the trip that I wanted, that I had within my control. I had I accepted that I was going alone. So what can I do? What, how am I going to make it fun? And I started to get so excited. And so I went on this trip and it was hands down, still to this day, seven years later, one of my favorite trips. And my honeymoon was in the Maldives, which was incredible and absolutely amazing. But this trip will always be special to me because I appreciated for the first time being by myself, being with, not by myself, being with myself. Mm-hmm. And I, I decided, you know what? I'm getting up early. I'm going to go work out. I would be then the first person at the pool to like get the best beach chair. I had a pina colada in my hand by like nine in the morning, as soon as the pool bar opened up. And I just, it was just so great and so relaxing. And when I came home, I had I was worried, will I leave this feeling in Mexico? And I did a little bit, but when I came home, I think that really started the ball rolling in my head about okay, why did I enjoy that trip so much? What what was it about that? And a few weeks later, I went out to San Francisco where my brother uh, was living with his wife and their new baby. They now have two more babies, uh, but he 's my younger brother. got married obviously before I did had kids already. That was always something I kind of grappled with, but I was absolutely in love with my nephew and was so happy to go out and see them and so it was it was April and it was just it was a beautiful spring weekend in Northern California. And that Saturday morning, we took the baby out and went to go get some coffee. And as we were walking back uh, to their apartment through the marina in San Francisco, which is right down by the water, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It really is. And the, it was crystal blue skies. The sun was shining. And as we're walking down the street, this older woman was walking towards us. Older, probably like 70s, 80s, I'm not sure. And as she's walking towards us, she just had this huge smile on her face and she was looking around. And then I I don't, I do not know why I looked at this woman. I don't know her. We didn't even say hello as we passed, but I looked at her and all of a sudden I formed this story in my head of who she was. It's like, well, she's by herself. So here we have a single woman who's living in an absolutely incredible city who is smiling from ear to ear, enjoying a gorgeous spring morning, getting to do whatever she wants. Who knows? Maybe she's, she's off to go do something totally for herself that she enjoys doing. I look down in the stroller at my nephew and I'm like, I might not have kids, but he's here and I get to spend time with him and interact with him. Okay. What if? What if I become this woman? What if I decide, you know what? I'm going to work really hard in New York. I'm going to, I'm going to do well. And I'm going to move to San Francisco. Then eventually live in an incredible city in awesome weather, wherever I want to, I'll be very close to my nephew. I knew that more kids would be on the way for my brother and his wife. I'll be able to be the best aunt ever. And I can build a life for me that, that is within to the extent that it is within my control. And something in me just like flipped because of this woman. And that that's a story that I made up in my head. And what what I realize now that I've kind of processed all of it and what I now work with women on for themselves is I had been spending my entire life refusing to give myself permission to have a future that was anything other than what I thought it was supposed to be. I had to get married. I had to have kids. I had to have the perfect job. I had to have everything balanced. I had to have it all. And when I thought about my future, it always involved that. Everything about my future hinged on the husband and the kids and the family. And so the fact that I didn't have any of that, that I wasn't even close to having any of that, meant that my realistic future was blank. It was just a huge black void. No wonder I was terrified. So seeing that woman finally like opened up my, my eyes and my perspective to the idea that there were so many different ways my future could go. And for the first time in my life, I gave myself permission to daydream about a future that was just about me Mm -hmm. and to apply how I felt on that trip, that solo trip to Mexico, to a solo future together, or together, a solo future with myself. And for the first time, I wasn't panicked because I could actually create something in my head. Who knows if it would happen or not? That wasn't the point. The point was, I could get excited about something that only involved me. I basically had to say the worst thing that I think could happen is that I do not meet somebody ever. What though would that life look like? Okay. There are ways that it could actually be really, really special. And that just really started the ball rolling in my head. I I just kind of It was like, you know, like a light switch went on and it really was my, my future like flipped on instead of being this black void of nothingness, I could pick out all the things that I wanted to do and daydream about these things that I felt like I could actually make happen if that's what I wanted to do. And it really changed everything for me. I, I no longer felt that I needed to meet somebody I wanted to, oh, I so badly wanted to. And there's nothing wrong with that. That is absolutely nothing wrong with wanting to meet somebody. But I knew each time I went on a first date, each time I met somebody new that my entire future didn't hinge on whether or not this worked out, mm. that I was going to be okay if it didn't. And I, that is what it means to me to want something, want a relationship, but no, you don't need that relationship. Mm. And it was about six weeks after that trip to San Francisco that I met my husband.
0: I'm literally, I know I don't have the video on it. Everyone can just see the audio, but I'm so mesmerized by the story. I feel like I'm watching a TV show and I'm just listening and I'm like, what next? Just wait, don't, don't stop talking. Just keep going. I just want to know what happens next. But it's just, it's really just a goosebump story because obviously you just, in a way, been telling yourself all, for all of your thirties up until 35 that you, were, you had failed, And that you were doing something wrong. And you obviously hadn't failed. And I think that's something that's coming up for me here. Is that I think what a lot of, you know, a lot of the women that I work with really struggle with. Is that they think that if they accept another life, then it means that the other one won't come. They think that if they say, I'm okay alone. And I'm going to build my life. And it's going to be this way. And who knows what's going to happen. And and also, if you like being single, right? If you actually... Mm -hmm admit that you like being single single that there's this like kind of almost cosmic connection that that means that the universe will reward you by saying okay look you like it be single now forever yes and yes. it's so isn't that true that people uh, think that they're scared to say it it's like you're scared to admit okay I actually like being single because then it's almost at the detriment of this future potential partner that might yes. not then exist
1: yes and that is that is so true that is a huge a huge battle that I feel like so many of us deal with internally i'm supposed to get married i am supposed to find my person that's what's going to make me happy i cannot be happy before that i i cannot possibly be a happy content single person and yet want a relationship at the same time and yes you can and yes you should you know i the the women that i work with i work with a lot of single women and you know I am not a dating coach. I am not going to tell you how to meet somebody because to me that's not the end goal. The end goal is to to find ways to appreciate, embrace and love the life that you currently have that you have built and that you are continuing to build. And you know what? The crazy thing is when we do that, when we find ways to be happy with the things we can control, good things keep happening from there. And I'm not a big manifester like, you know, I didn't have a vision board of my husband. I don't believe I manifested him. And people who believe in manifestation, awesome, cool, go for it. But I don't think that it is a a prerequisite to getting the things that you want. You can focus and manifest a single amazing life. And that does not mean then that you are cutting out everything else. It means you are going to be happy up until that you're going to be happy while you wait to meet that person and i truly believe that every everyone who wants to be in a relationship to be in a happy committed loving exceptional relationship it's going to happen it is totally going to happen i just can't tell you when we don't know no one knows so in the meantime why should we sit here and be miserable? when we have no control over it for the most part why you can occupy as many spaces as you want being happily single and wanting a relationship yes those are two things that go i believe hand in hand
0: i know this is a leading question but do you think it was a coincidence that you met him 6 weeks after do you think it was because something switched in you
1: i think it was a little bit of all of that i truly believe. So I, once I came home from San Francisco, I had been on match for, for several months. I had done a stint before that as well. And I had taken a break in between and I was over it. I hadn't gone any, I didn't have horror stories, but I didn't have any success. And it was, it gets at you. Everybody knows online dating is tough. Dating in general is tough and it can eat away at you there. And I just, I was like, I don't need this anymore. I don't actually, I don't, I don't want this anymore. This is not what I'm looking for. And this is not making me happy. So I don't, I don't care. I don't care anymore. And I had, I think like one month left that I'd paid for on match. And uh, I was like, fine. After that, I'm, I'm canceling it. Like I'm, I'm done uh, maybe who knows? Maybe I'll go back one day. Maybe I won't. I don't know. But right now that's not what I want to focus on. I want to focus on continuing to feel really good about what I am doing. I stopped checking in on the, on the app. I stopped all of that, but match. And I have no idea how any of this works anymore. Back then, seven years ago, match was sending you daily matches in email. So if you weren't on the app or on the website, they were still, you know, making sure that they were giving you some information. And I was deleting those. I wasn't even looking at them. I was deleting them. And, uh, one day, it was, it was April. I Again, like I said, I was a sports anchor and reporter at the time, so I was covering a Rangers playoff series. And anybody who knows anything about TV knows there's a whole lot of waiting. <laughs> you just sit around waiting most of the time, unless you're then you're actually racing to get something done uh, at the last minute. But it's a lot of sitting around. So I was sitting around waiting for the game to start and just flipping through my phone, and here was my daily matches. I was like, ugh. I have time, whatever. I need to kill time. I'm just going to look. And so I opened it up. And you know, even though New York City has tons and tons of people, I'm tall. I'm 5'11". So I always had a height requirement. For, like, for me, height, was that was one of my big, big things. Do I wish that I didn't care as much? Yes. Did I care? Yes. And so I was not going to let that go for the sake of, well, maybe I'm just being too picky. Okay. In that case, to me, height was a big deal. So when you narrow that down, I was like six feet and above. I didn't, you know, I think I had pretty much seen everybody who fit my criteria at that point. And I opened up that email and the first one was my husband. And I was like, oh, How I, tall wait, is I haven't he? seen I, Six, four. Just <laughs> I checking. Like, I was just checking.
0: Uh-huh. I thought uh-huh. you were going to say he's he's actually five foot four. And I was like, wow, this is crazy. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> I didn't make that much of a mental leap, but <laughs> <laughs> um, no, he was six, four. And uh, I had not seen him before and he's British. I was like, Ooh, so he has an accent <laughs> and Americans, we love accents. So I was like, okay, all right. And then I saw divorced. I was like, mm, that's probably why I haven't seen him before because I had said, don't want divorce. Don't want anyone with, with kids. Those were just things that I had picked for who knows why. So like, I looked at his profile. I was like, you know, he's british like he has a good accent like how bad could this be and so i i favorited him and and just wanted to hang on to it for later so the way i was doing match at this time and i don't think you can even do it this way anymore since i was on tv i was incredibly private and incredibly private and i was doing match without a picture so i was one of those people which is huge red flags i had a very legitimate reason for it but you know there's not every not everybody is in that boat so what i would do is i would find somebody who i was interested in who who seemed like a possible option and then i would reach out with a little email i had like a form email i was like i know i don't have a picture i know it's kind of weird it's because of my job if you want to learn more i'll tell you all about it and i'll also send you a picture i got all sorts of responses in some ways. It was actually a good way to do it because it weeded out a lot of, like there were some people who were just flat out rude. Like, how dare you contact me without a picture? Like you could have just ignored me, but okay, cool. You're out. And then the ones who actually didn't respond, they were, you know, they were willing to take a chance. And so it was, you know, it was good. The the hardest part and part of the reason that I took a break and then was just over it was I a uh, so, you know, few of them would respond and say, okay, sure. I'm interested. Send me more. And then I'd send them a picture and I'd never hear from them again. <laughs> like, this is not doing wonders for my ego right now. So this is hard. But I eventually, I think it was like a day or two later, I had not been on match, but I was like, yeah, okay. There's that, there's that guy that I'd never seen before, that never popped up before. Should I just reach out to him? So he was the last person I reached out to, not because we went off into the sunset together, but because I was just, I was done. I was done with match. And so it was like, ah, fine. You know what? I'm going to send out one last email. He responded, was very, you know, was, was kind of like, this is different, but sure. Tell me more. And uh, it turns out he had worked with uh, a lot of clients that were wealthy New York people. So he did understand the, the the desire to have privacy. So fortunately, he didn't think it was weird enough not to contact me. So we started talking and I eventually asked him out. He wasn't moving forward with any of that. And so finally, I was like, are we going to meet? Like, can we get drinks or something? So we did about two weeks after we started talking. And, you know... <laughs> I remember going to that date and I was on the subway and I was making my way over. I lived on the Upper West Side at the time. We were meeting on the Upper East Side and I was excited and nervous, but also kind of like, I'm gonna be okay. Like whatever happens, I'm gonna go listen. I'm gonna have a glass of wine. I'm gonna listen to a British accent. And that's like, those are my expectations at this point. Anything else that happens, whatever, but that's what we're gonna do. Uh, and I walked into that bar and I didn't immediately look at him and go, oh, this guy is different. This is amazing. Nope, not at all. But I sat down and was like, let's see how this goes. And I knew, I, I just knew that I did not need this to work. I wanted it to if he was the right person, but I didn't need him to be the right person. And so I'm very convinced that when I sat down and we started talking, that he is the first person I went on a date with who actually went on a date with Laura, with the real authentic me instead of the me who was trying to be everything he wanted me to be. And I think, had we met six months prior, it might not have have worked. I Um, might have been a totally, I might have presented myself in a different way. He could have been different as well. He had just gotten out of a very difficult relationship. And so timing as much, as I hated hearing about timing when I was single, uh, there is something to be said for it because we have to get to a point sometimes where we're actually ready for something to happen. And so I, I, was, I was ready for this to not work out. Do you think that
0: you just weren't ready until that point, that date, that moment where you met, before all those times before you just weren't ready to meet that person?
1: There is definitely that possibility, you know, and I don't necessarily believe there's one person in the world for anybody. And now that was just the time that I met him. I think there's a lot of circumstance that goes into it as well. I think we can be happy in a lot of different ways and with a lot of different people. You know, I look back on the relationships. And when I say relationships, you know, I'm talking two or three dates, because I, I never made it past that with anybody. But I thought a few of those were the one, like I, after two or three days, here's part of my problem, thinking that they were the one already, but I, there were some that I was very invested in. And I'm so grateful now looking back that they were the ones that that either ghosted me or actually ended it or whatever happened. Because when I look at it with a clear perspective, I see all of the ways that they were not the right person for me. And in some ways they were really bad for me. And I couldn't see it because I wanted it so, so badly. So thank goodness they ended it for me because I wasn't strong enough to actually figure out what I wanted. Mm -hmm. So by this time, by the time I meet Mark, I just approached it so much differently because I didn't, frankly, I didn't care anymore if it didn't work out. And I think he could sense that. I think he could feel that. One of the things I did say to him uh, when it comes down to timing once, you know, once we were together and I realized this is a very special person and this is, you know, I'm, this is who I'm going to be with for the rest of my life. I would say to him, Ugh, why couldn't we have met 10 or 10 years earlier? Why did we have to meet now? Why couldn't we have like all this time to just have fun together? Why do we now have to think about like having kids immediately and, and retirement plans and buying a house and all of these things that adults are supposed to do? Why couldn't we just have fun? And why did I have to spend so many years being miserable?" When you were out there, why couldn't we have met earlier? And he always has said to me, when I was 28, I would not have known how to treat you in the way you deserve to be treated. And I'm like, yeah, when I was 28, I would not have known to demand that. And it's so true. So timing, circumstances, just my own mindset, his mindset. I think it all came together, which is why I I truly believe with meeting your person, there's a lot of luck involved and just timing, luck of timing. And people who are super happy and met their person in high school, they just got lucky that that person was in their life at the right time in that moment. And if it takes you longer, it's just because it hasn't happened yet.
0: And I agree that about it is luck and timing, but I do think a huge part of it is the things that you can control, which were how you showed up and the mindset yes. work that you did, and actually how you showed up on the date. And I guess what I want to know even more details about, and so, sorry to pry, uh, <laughs> while I ha- while I have you here, um, what I was curious about is is yeah, can you share a little bit about how it is to meet somebody at that stage to have those, I guess, quite near the start. I'm imagining conversations about. The big things because obviously, Mm -hmm. when you're dating, and you're, you know, if you meet someone in high school or in your even your 20s, even like right at the start of your 30s, you probably don't need to be so upfront because you have that, I guess, luxury of time to say, you know, let's just see where this flows and then we can, we can talk about it, you know, Mm -hmm. once it gets serious. But was it a taboo topic for you and him, or was it always very like cards on the table? This is, you know, Mm -hmm. this is the age that we are and this is the conversation that we're going to have.
1: You know, I think that. Everything about our relationship from the very beginning for me has been so totally natural. There was never like, okay, we have to sit down and have this conversation now. All the things we talked about were so natural. And it was like, this is what we're supposed to be talking about. I never had to worry, it, it, am I going to scare him away if I start talking about this? Well, no, I want to talk about this. So we need to talk about this. That was just, it was just, it was so, everything was so easy, which I think was shocking to me because nothing had ever been easy for me up to that point when it came to guys. Nothing had been easy. And this was incredibly easy. And I knew at the third date, after the third date is when I knew, I, I, I was pretty sure this was This was going to be the person I was still, there was still that part of me that had been so hurt in the past and had been thought, you know, had assumed they were so spot on and there then was totally wrong. So I I had that little bit of, of fear, but I just knew that this was, this was a special person. This, this, this could be my person. So, you know, all the things that we talked about, the serious stuff, there's also, when you get to that age, at least for me, it didn't feel like a big deal to talk about those things because both of us were like, you know, we used to say, we're not 25 anymore. We're not messing around. Like if we're dating each other at this point, we're serious about it. Like, I don't know if it's gonna go anywhere, but that's what we're looking for. And if it's not, we're not gonna waste our time. So we moved in together officially in December, after meeting in May, but made the decision to move in together in September or October, because we both knew our leases were up at about the same time. So I had some friends, it was interesting, one of my very best friends, who met her husband in her mid-20s, had a very, very different story to mine, in a very loving, incredible relationship, uh, but her timing was so different than mine. And she was very freaked out of how fast she thought we were moving because it's not the way she did because she didn't have to. She was in her twenties. They had all the time in the world to be able to do what they needed to do. And, you know, we had all the time in the world too, because I didn't have this feeling like, oh, I have to be married by a certain time. Obviously the kid factor, our bodies are biologically just, you know, making sure that we we know there are some limiting factors there. So, uh, but she was very concerned. Didn't, didn't, necessarily support our idea to move in together as quickly as we did I was like I'm an adult (laughs) like we know you know when you know you know and she was one of my bridesmaids she absolutely loves my husband now she it just took her a little bit of time to realize that my path was gonna not look like hers and that that's okay but you know for me it was just it was so easy to have all of those conversations because both of us were just we were ready we weren't ready to mess around. And for us, it just, it just flowed. It was easy. Of course, he didn't talk to me about the kids thing for a few months in when I was already like in totally in love with him and knew that this was the man I was going to marry. And then he was like, I actually don't think I can have kids, which leads us, we could have a whole other episode just on
0: this. Yeah. Can Uh, we
1: dive into the kids
0: thing? I know we are kind of running out of time. If you're okay to carry on, I would love Mm -hmm. to hear. Uh, Yeah. So obviously spoiler alert, you have a baby. I
1: do. <laughs> um, so yeah, firstly, congratulations. Thank um, you. And,
0: and, yeah. Let's hear this part of the story.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So he told me a few months in when I was already like I was in, I was in it and I mentioned kids, but we'd never really had the kid conversation because I think I just assumed for me, kids had always been a product of being in a happy, committed relationship. Like I I toyed with the idea of do I want to do this on my own if I don't meet somebody? And for me, everybody is different. But for me, I was like, you know what? Having a baby is something I want to do with with my person. It's what I want to do with somebody else. I want it to be a result of our relationship. And I just didn't want to do it on my own. So I just, I guess I finally found that person. And so I just kind of assumed this was what's going to happen. And so he was like, Yeah, so I don't think I can have kids. <laughs> wait a minute, what? So my husband has a has a very, very rare genetic condition. And uh, there's a 50% chance that he could pass it down. Now at this time, he had never thought he was going to have kids, ever thought, not in his mind the entire time he was an adult. So he had never pursued answers as to whether or not he should have children. Uh, so as soon as as soon as he told me this, I was like, all right. And I started talking to doctors. And I, the first one was my gynecologist. I'm like, this is what my husband, we think he had never diagnosed formally because it's so rare. She talked to her genetic, uh, genetic counselor colleagues and got back to me and was like, okay, well, if this is what he has, there's a 50% chance he can hand it down. To me, that was the best news in the world because there was a chance. We had a 50% chance. What well, we realized then and what he kind of definitely said as a, what he had to have if he was going to have kids was he had to know for sure that they weren't gonna have what he has. So he has a very rare form of lymphedema. It is incredibly debilitating, it is chronic pain, it is a very difficult life, and he is a success story. Uh, There's also a very, very good chance that if a baby was born with it, they would not survive. So that was not something either of us wanted, but he would not be able to live with himself if he passed along this to, to his child. So at that point, it became pretty obvious that if we were going to do this, it was going to have to be IVF. So because with IVF, you can do genetic testing of the embryos uh, and we could find out if it had his mutation and the ones that had his mutation obviously were not healthy and would not be implanted. So first I had to get him diagnosed though, that took a year and I'm only getting older at this point. If you want to talk about age, I've now found my person, which I'd always told myself once I did, everything would just fall into place and it would be super easy and it would be great we got married when I was 38 and I was ready to start right away. Both of our fathers got sick with cancer. We would, we would lose them within a year of my father-in-law's diagnosis and about a year and a half of my father's diagnosis. So that kind of put all of this on the back burner at times. So it took, it took me a year. Turns out there's only two doctors in the country in the United States that can diagnose what my husband has. One's out here in Stanford and one's in Boston. We were in New York at the time, so we went to Boston. Uh, Finally got the diagnosis, finally got the genetic testing done. And once you have the genetic testing done on him to know exactly what it is that he has, then you can start talking to genetic counselors and IVF clinics. So we started that in March of 2020. (laughs) So we were Ah. actually set to start our first round of IVF on March 17th. And on March 16th is when they shut down all non necessary surgeries and procedures. So all IVF in the entire, yes, non-elective. Yes. Thank you. (laughs) All, all IVF clinics in the entire country stopped a day before we were supposed to start. So here I am going, okay, I'm, I'm now 39. I'm not getting any younger. I had had some blood work done to, to, Try to determine how many my egg reserve, it's called an AMH test, uh, which is not foolproof. It certainly is not going to tell you, you for sure are going to be able to have kids or you're going to really struggle. But my AMH had taken a nosedive in the year prior to that. And so I was pretty terrified. Each month that went by, I was like, I'm just, I'm just losing eggs, I'm just losing eggs. And so we'd always thought our issue was going to be him, and just you know, 50% of all of our embryos wouldn't be viable because of him. We had not even considered my situation with my age. And when we finally were able to start in May of 2020, uh, our first round was not successful. I only had four eggs retrieved, which is nothing and was pretty devastating and a pretty huge wake-up call for, for the realities of of having a kid for us. And it's so hard. We as women have such a time crunch that we have to deal with. Just, you know, we, we hit menopause at some point where it is physically no longer a, a, an option. And our chances deteriorate as we get older. That part is true. But at the same time, there are so many Everybody is so different. You know, there are women who are 22 who could have fertility issues. And then there are women who are 45 who could naturally have a very healthy baby. So you just don't know what you're dealing with. For us, I was, I was 40, I guess. I, yeah, I was 40 then as we were actually starting the, the IVF. Um, turns out my eggs were a little bit older acting than even 40. So we went through four rounds. And finally, on the fourth round, we got one... <laughs> One healthy embryo, and she was transferred a year ago last March, and she is now almost five months old. I love the story. Wow, it's like against all odds. Yes, and I was 42 when I had her, so crazy.
0: (laughs) Wow, I just love it. As I was saying before, you're such an expander and somebody who just didn't give up, that you didn't let any of these circumstances get in the way because you had a goal, and here she is. I just, I love the story and it's why I invited you on the podcast because I know it's like such an important story to share. And so now you work as a coach with women to help them release this, the timeline fears.
1: Yes. Yes. And you know, I, I think there's a huge, one of the huge challenges that I face. And I think that a lot of us do, you know, my parents always told me growing up, you can be whatever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do that. You don't have to follow a certain path. We just want you to be happy. And so Cool that was, I internalized that. I was like, awesome. I'm going to focus on my career. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go after it. And I did, and I had success. And then I hit, I guess at this point I hit 30 and it started to really sink in that, yeah, I'm successful and things are going well. But my parents told me I could do all of this stuff, but my parents met when they were 20, they got married at 23 and 24 had me at 27, which they probably would have had me earlier, but you know, took a little time to, to get pregnant. And so while they always told me these things, the only visual I had of what a life is supposed to look like involved getting married and having kids all in your 20s and you know, doing all of that. And all of my friends growing up, all of their parents were the exact same way. So I never had an example to look to, to know that there were so many different ways to live a life. So that's why one of my missions now is to, is to not only share my story, but to have other women share theirs as well, and to, to hear each other's stories. Because once we do that, it opens up our minds to the possibilities that there isn't just one way. There are infinite, infinite ways that that it can go. And so that's one of the things that I do. I work with women on, whether it's that they're they're struggling with being single, or not being a mom, or not having the career they want, or just feeling stuck in this point in their timeline that already doesn't look like it should. And now they're just worried that it's just further going off the rails and instead to open up their perspective and to help them realize that there are so many different ways and what they're building right now is one of them. And that's, that's a beautiful thing.
0: And we just have such aligned missions because obviously as the turning 30 life coach, that's exactly what I do. And it's, you know, Mm -hmm. I even have run a workshop called ditch the timelines, actually call it fuck the timelines and live your own path. So (laughs) I love it. it. Yeah, Yeah. And I just love how aligned our missions are. And I know you've, you've touched on this a few times throughout the episode, but just to finish off, I would love, you know, to hear what advice you would give to somebody who, like me, is in their mid-30s or, you know, even just in their 30s at all and has a goal of wanting to eventually meet somebody and have a family and who's losing hope, who's in that space of, you know, will it happen? When will it happen? Feeling left behind, feeling all the comparison. What, you know, what would you tell them?
1: First, it's hard it's really hard. And I, I, you know, I think that too often we try and gloss over it and just say, you know, be positive. Think of all the great things in your life. You're doing great. All of that might be true, but it's really, really hard to want something so badly and it's not happening and to feel like it is out of your control because in so many ways it is That's hard And you deserve to, to not feel good about it at all times. You deserve to have moments of struggling with it. Like all of that is understandable and, and you have to be able to do it and it's okay. And you're going to be okay. You know, I, it, it, it might not know how you might not know what it's going to look like or how it's all going to appear in your life. You are going to be okay. And you are doing, you're doing a great job. I, that was what I always wish somebody would say to me. I just, I didn't ever want somebody to be like, oh no, you're going to find him. It's going to be great. You're going to eventually you'll find him when you stop looking, you'll find him. Okay, shut up. Uh, (laughs) I want, I just wanted somebody to take my hand, look me in the eyes and say, this is hard. This is not fair that it's not happening the way you want it to. I can't explain why. There's no explanation, you're not doing anything wrong, but you are doing such a great job with what you have in front of you. You are building a life that is incredible and you are strong and you are capable and I am proud of you. That was all I needed. I really just, I really just wanted that. And so I don't need to know anybody who's listening right now personally or to know your story to genuinely believe that you are doing a great job mm, yeah. and that, oh you know, I am proud of you. I don't know you, but I also guarantee you, that there are people in your life who do know you and they are proud of you too.
0: Yeah. Wow. I love it. I'm emotional. It's, yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's amazing. It's a really important message and, and yeah. And just, you mentioned this as well before, like not settling, not thinking that you have to live a life that is any less special just because you haven't hit the timeline. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yep. And we just, we have no idea what's going to happen. We have no idea what's going to happen next. So why not give ourselves permission to enjoy it as we go?
0: Yeah. Wow. Laura, thank you so, so much. As I said, I was so excited for the conversation that did not disappoint at all. I literally feel like I've just like watched a movie. I loved every minute <laughs> of it. Uh, just to let the listeners know if they want to like, learn more about you and see you know, more about your work, where can they find you?
1: Uh, They can find me. I'm on Instagram. Uh, My handle is Laura B. Banky. The last name's B E H N K E. Uh, I am still on a like semi maternity leave. I'm really still trying to figure this whole thing out. That's another thing. Like, even as you get all the things that you wanted, you are still trying to figure your shit out and how life is going to go. So I'm not as active on there as I typically am, but I, I check DMs. Like, send me a message. You can always find me there. And there's also my website, laurabanky.com, as well as my my company is called the Life Actually Company. So there's also thelifeactuallycompany.com. You can see some of the things, some of the articles I've written uh, in the past about being single, just about about life in general, about defying timeline expectations. Mm -hmm. And then I also have a podcast. It's currently on hiatus, you know, the whole maternity leave thing, but it's called the Life Actually Podcast. And it is, it's simply a different woman each week telling her story about her life and what she has experienced and all in an effort to broaden our perspectives on what it means to live a happy and successful life.
0: Wow. I cannot wait to listen. And I feel like we have to do part two, or maybe an Instagram live or something at some point when you finish with maternity leave because we've not even talked about what you were just mentioned about how even when you get those things how you can still you know life is still the same you're still the same person you still have the same brain and you think that your life's going to be perfection when you you know hit all those big markers but I'm guessing I've not done them but I'm guessing that the
1: answer is that that doesn't happen. Don't even let me start talking about that. Otherwise, we're going to be here for another hour. So we'll hold that till next time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) We'll collaborate again. Amazing. Thank you
0: so, so much. It's been such a pleasure. And I'll see everyone on the podcast next week.